guys. So there was a uh, preacher who took a, uh, a summer job as a lifeguard. And they noticed that on the section of the beach that he was on, there was an increase in drownings. So the supervisor over the, uh, of, over the lifeguards in that area, he goes to see what's going on. And he looks and he finds that as people start to struggle in the water, they were throwing up their hands. And the preacher would say, I see that hand, God bless you. I see that hand, God bless Okay, That didn't have anything to do with anything other than just my desire to share bad jokes with you. You're welcome. All right, but I do have a favor to ask of you. I need you to use your imagination with me for just a minute. I want you to imagine the most basic car you can think of. Basically just a metal box with four wheels, an engine, and an exhaust. Do you have it? Mine is red. What color is yours? Okay. So with a car like that, there are only a handful of things that can go wrong. You can get a flat. You know, the engine could go bad, things like that. But there's, but there's a fairly limited number of things that can malfunction on that car. Now, let's take your, uh, let's take your imaginary car and add in an air conditioner, maybe some of those lights that raise up when, when you start the lights. They're like, hey, I'm open for business. Uh, add in maybe satellite radio or a DVD player. And with everything you add you're increasing the number of things that could go wrong with that vehicle, correct? And, I mean, we've all seen one of those cars with the raisable headlights where only like one of them lifts and it looks like it's winking at you, like it's going around flirting with everybody it sees, like how you, you know, that kind of thing. But if you go to a car dealership and you ask the salesman, you know, this car has air conditioning and satellite radio and it has 15 cup holders that could potentially break, could we go ahead and take $1,000 off of the price? Is the car dealer going to agree with you and take that money off? Absolutely not. In fact, we call those additional features. That's because when those things work correctly, they add value to your overall transportation experience. When we see those features that we like, we look at those and we say, okay, that is what sets this car apart from all the others. That's what makes this car the one that I want. So that's how we look at car buying. But when we think about sharing our faith, we don't think of it in those same terms. We, we focus on what could go wrong. What we need to look at, though, is how much value is added when we proclaim our faith and things go right. Last week we started this series about proclaiming our faith. And we learned this. Jesus commands us to go and tell. And we talked about what's at stake. That it is a literal matter of life and death. A literal matter of heaven and hell at stake there. And we tend to leave a message like that. Agreeing on the importance of proclaiming as Zach called it last week. The great news. But once you step out of here, once you go through those doors, do the fears start creeping in? You know, um, they will, and that's okay. But just like with that car we were talking about, we look at the features and the value those add to our driving experience. So when it comes to proclaiming the great news, 
instead of looking at what could go wrong, let's concentrate on the value that can be added when it goes right. We want to see lives and eternal destinations changed. And there is nothing more valuable than that. So today and over the coming weeks, we're going to discuss some of those barriers and how we can combat those. We're all afraid of rejection. We're all concerned about what happens if we are unsuccessful, if we fail. So when we talk about Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the grave to to save us from our sins, we call that the good news, right? That is the gospel. Well, here is the pretty good news. When it comes to sharing your faith, you can't fail. I know, I know you're thinking, Trav, that's awfully optimistic of you. Maybe you're thinking that's naive of me. And I am a fairly optimistic person, but this is not false optimism. Let me show you. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus tells us this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So as it turns out, it is not your responsibility, it is not your job to make anyone believe in Jesus. If that were your responsibility and you said, I am not going to be able to save that person, then I would agree with you. You don't have what it takes to save anyone from their sins. But the pretty good news is you can't fail because it isn't your responsibility to save anyone. Your responsibility is to go and tell. Number one, go. Number two, tell. Go, tell. Go, tell. What's your responsibility? Go and tell. So that's your part. You are not responsible for causing a person's heart to turn to God. So if you go and tell, you cannot fail. In the words of Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. Some of you thought for a second that I was going to do a Yoda impression. Travi, don't play that. All right. But success is sharing your faith with someone who needs to hear about Jesus Christ. If they decline, they aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting him. All right. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting Jesus. So these next few weeks, we're discussing how some of those fears that we have express themselves as objections. And this week I'm talking to those of you who say, I really would like to proclaim my faith, but I don't know what to say. So if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. Because we're going to take a look at some of the words written in red in our Bibles. And this is from Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is addressing his disciples on the topic of persecution. And he says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So Jesus told his disciples, you are going to be prosecuted and you're going to be persecuted, but rather than consult your publicist, rather than scribble some notes on the back of your hand, you should rely on the Holy Spirit 
and he will guide your conversation. So if Jesus can tell these guys not to worry in advance about what to say when their lives and freedom are literally on the line, then I don't know what to say doesn't really cut it as an adequate reason for us to keep the good news to ourselves. Ultimately, God has commanded us to do what? Go tell. So he can be trusted then if he has given the command to provide the words we will need as we go and tell. And I know that doesn't eliminate all of our concerns because I know a lot of us do want to feel prepared. But when we're finished here, you're not going to stay in here because you're afraid the air conditioning may go out in your car. You know, you're not going to be like, I just can't take that chance. Sorry, family, we live at church now. That's not how you're going to handle that situation. So if we aren't letting hypothetical situations hinder us in other areas of our lives, let's put aside those spiritual hypotheticals for a few minutes and think of it like this. Don't let what could be prevent what should be. We should go and tell, but sometimes we don't want to because we're afraid of what could go wrong. Don't focus on, what if I speak to someone and they ask this question? What if I speak to someone and they raise this objection that I'm not prepared for? Because the truth is, most conversations don't really get that deep. Sometimes we can get into our own heads with deep conversations with ourselves about ethics or about the merits of pizza versus tacos or whatever those deep conversations are that you have in your brain. But when is the last time you got into a deep philosophical conversation with someone other than you? If you're into sports, how many sports discussions have you had with someone else since the last time you really got into something really deep? How many conversations about TV and movies have you had since your most recent discussion of the ideas of Aristotle? For most of us, it's been a while. Well, guess what? If you invite someone to church or you talk to someone about God, chances are you, sp you still probably won't have that kind of deep conversation. Now, if you do have genuine questions about the faith, about the Bible, about what, what do I deal with this situation as, I love to talk about that stuff. I love to talk about the Bible. Feel free to come to me, and I'll be happy to discuss that issue with you if it is a genuine concern and not just an excuse. Zach loves to talk about that stuff, too. Come and talk to me. Come talk to him. You're probably not the first person to have that question or that concern that is bugging you. And we will be more than happy to discuss that with you. Because, get this, God isn't afraid of your questions and God is bigger than your doubts. This church will do whatever we can to help prepare you for those discussions. But don't allow fear to stop you in your tracks. Because being obedient to God and talking to others about him is too important to keep to yourself. The expectations we place on ourselves are sometimes way too high. I think that sometimes when we think, okay, I should share my faith 
We tend to think that we're supposed to say something amazing and of biblical proportions. Like God wants us to go up to people and say, you know, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He saw what you did last night and he wants you to turn from your wickedness. Like we expect ourselves to be some amazing mixture of Shakespeare and John the Baptist. By all means, go where the Holy Spirit leads you. Say what the Holy Spirit guides you into. But if we're honest, if someone came up to us talking like that, we wouldn't be able to hear them over that voice in our heads saying, crazy person, run away, flee. That's not what God is asking of you. So don't allow fear to rob you because the New Testament is full of ill-prepared people who told others about Jesus. Jesus met this woman at a well one day. And he had a conversation with her about living water and about eternal life. And this woman was so amazed at the compassion and the wisdom of Jesus. And somewhere in the Bible it tells us this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman enrolled in seminary, a small group, and joined an online faith forum. When she knew the answer to every possible question, she told three of her closest friends about Jesus. And that comes from, oh yeah, nowhere in the Bible. That's not in there. What it actually says is in John chapter 4, where it tells us, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And how'd they respond? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So with no hesitation and no preparation, she goes from Jesus and she says, Guys, 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 listen to me. I just met this guy named Jesus and you need to meet him too. And really, that's the bottom line. So we say, I don't know what to say. And that's not just an excuse. I get that. I'm not diminishing your concern there. And I'm not diminishing your fear. But if that's where you are, then follow this woman's example and tell your story. Because here's the deal, guys. History is divided up into B.C. and A.D., over here we have creation and the fall of man and you have the rise and fall of the Babylonian and Greek empires. And then you have Jesus Christ being born and he changed not just the course of religion, not just sin, death, hell, and the grave, but he changed the course of history. So you have your BC and then you have the birth of Christ and you have your pivot point where Jesus shows up and everything changes. The history of life, the history of the life of every believer has that same pivot point where our BC becomes our AD. And we call it by different names. We call it our testimony. Maybe we call it our witness. And you're thinking... But at the end of the day, it's your story. Whatever you want to call it, it is your story of faith. And if you're thinking, I know I should share my faith, but I don't know what to say. 
then stop overthinking it. It's as simple as these three words tell your story. There are plenty of people out there who love to debate every belief of the Bible. You know, but what nobody can argue with is your story. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take a few minutes and share my story of faith with you. I grew up in church, and when I was eight, I realized that I was a sinner in need of salvation. I hadn't shot anyone. I hadn't stolen anybody's cattle. You know, none none of the things we think of as the big sins, right? I hadn't done any of those. I had lifted a handful of crayons from my kindergarten class. And my mom made me take those back the next day and apologize. There were some words that Roman Brady used on days of our lives that I thought I'd give a try, and I quickly found out I wasn't allowed to use those words. But I had been raised in church, and I knew I was a sinner, and I realized that I needed Jesus to forgive my sins. Now, side note, sometimes children have weird, weird fears that don't make any sense. Like my oldest niece, Sydney, she's getting ready to turn 30 this week. And one time, my mom and Sydney and her parents and myself, we were out shopping. And they all went into the store, but I stayed with Sydney because she needed to tie her shoe. She was probably four or five, and I'm standing there with her. And the breeze just keeps blowing her hair into her mouth. And I'm sorry that I can't demonstrate that very well. I'm not equipped for that. But anyway, she told me, I don't like having my hair in my mouth. And then she quickly caught herself and she said, but don't tell my mom and dad. And I'm thinking, I believe they would probably be more concerned if you told them that you enjoy eating your own hair. But sure, I will keep your secret. So anyways, children worry about weird stuff sometimes, don't they? So I'm eight, and I wanted to know how to be saved. I wanted to know how to accept Christ. And for weeks, I wanted to ask my Sunday school teachers or my mom, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? But I worried about what they might think of me. And looking back, obviously they would have been thrilled, but my child brain wasn't seeing that. So anyways, one day... The preacher at our church preached on Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that day, I placed my faith in Christ and asked him to forgive me. Now, I don't really allow myself regrets. I look at my past as something I can learn from, and I know that I am a big bundle of my own experiences. Everything that I've been through has made me who I am. So, so I don't really allow myself regrets. But there was one thing that I struggled with. And I want to share this so maybe you can learn from my experience too. I didn't go forward to the altar of the church that night. And I grew up in a church that really placed a lot of emphasis on what we call altar calls. You know, come up here if you want to be saved, that kind of thing. And and I get why. All right, That gives a person a chance to make an immediate public declaration of their faith. Even if there's no water back in the baptism area, you can still go ahead and publicly declare that you're trusting in Christ as your Savior. But at the same time, 
The Bible doesn't give the wood and the carpet and the nails or screws or whatever holds it all together. I don't know. It doesn't give it any special saving powers. Okay? There, there's nothing special about the position. Jesus is never going to stand outside of heaven and tell someone, you know, you were about three inches off from the saving part of the altar, so I can't let you in. It's not going to happen. So with that said, though, I wondered sometimes during my teenage years whether my faith was genuine. And then I discussed those concerns with a trusted friend who reminded me that salvation isn't about placing faith in a location. It's placing my faith in a person, in Jesus Christ. And I struggled this week with whether or not to share that part of my story, but I felt led to for two reasons. Number one, God does want us to make our faith a public matter. There's no Christian spy agency. There are no Christian undercover agents. So if you've recently accepted Christ, or if you're in a place where you're ready to accept Christ today, make that public as soon as you can. Because I believe that there is peace and assurance that goes with that. And two, if you have trusted Christ, and you ever have those doubts creep in, ask yourself this, where did you place your faith? Was it in the person of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection? If so, then just agree with God that, that you aren't going to allow those doubts to get the best of you. That if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you are saved and you're not going to let that cripple you. Another thing also, I've heard these other amazing stories of people who were into drugs or the mob or prison or maybe all of the above. And we get excited at the amazing changes that God can make when he enters a life. And we should, okay? It is amazing what God can save a person out of. It really is, and I'm so thankful when I hear those. But for a long time, I had a tendency to diminish my own story because I had never been through those things. I was eight when I got saved, and I hadn't done drugs. I hadn't shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. I hadn't been a mobster, although if I'm being honest, I would look pretty sweet in a pinstripe suit holding one of those machine guns with the big ammo canister on it, wouldn't I? All right. So, but one day, I realized something. God may not have saved me out of a life of drugs or violence or whatever, but he did save me from those. Yeah, I didn't have to go through those things in order to hit my rock bottom and accept Christ. And your story of faith may be different than mine, or, or yours may be very similar, I don't know. But I am thankful that God saves people from all kinds of backgrounds. Because the common denominator is, we were without Christ, but then he entered our lives. He turned our B.C. into an A.D. And this person has a story and this person has a story, and this person may have a story that is totally and wildly different than, than mine or from the other person's, but they're all part of this amazing single story of how God brings his family together. So if you get overwhelmed, 
thinking about all the objections and all the arguments that others might bring up, then put that aside. That, that shouldn't be a, a barrier to expressing and proclaiming your faith. Stop decreasing the value of your voice because you get up, because you get caught up in the things that could go wrong. At the end of the day, you know what Christ did for you in your life. So remember this, guys. Your story is not subject to debate or dispute. So if you start talking and someone brings up, oh, but aren't there contradictions in the Bible? Or, oh, but how could a loving God allow suffering in the world? Or whatever their oh, but is. You can respond to their oh, but with an oh, but of your own. It's okay to say, I don't know the answer, or I haven't thought of it that way before, but then you have an oh, but of your own. You can say, I'm not sure on that. Oh, but let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. John chapter 9 tells us about a man who was born blind. And I really enjoy this dude because as you read on in John chapter 9, you find out this guy is pretty sarcastic. So I read this story and I'm like, okay, here is someone in the Bible I can relate to. But that's getting a little bit ahead. So Jesus comes across this guy one day who was born blind. And the Bible doesn't tell his name. But for today, would it be okay if I call him Frank? All right. So Jesus makes some mud and he places it in Frank's eyes. And he tells him, go wash the mud out of your eyes. Frank does, and suddenly he can see. And the people in town are confused, and the news spreads rapidly. Hey, did you hear about blind Frank? He's just Frank now. And he's asking people to tell him the names of the colors and and what this is, okay? So the Pharisees, though, who were the religious crowd, who didn't like Jesus very much, they find out what's going on, and they come and ask Frank, What happened? So he explains it to him, you know, I was walking along, I was minding my own business, and some guy named Jesus came along, he put mud in my eyes, and told me to go wash it out, and when I did, suddenly I could see. And the Pharisees didn't like that answer, because they didn't like Jesus. So they sent Frank away, and they brought in his parents, and the parents answer their question, they're like, you know, Frank, he was born blind. He was blind when he left this morning, but somehow he has recovered. I don't know what happened, but he seems to be seeing now and he never could before. So the Pharisees don't like his parents' answer. So they send the parents away and they bring Frank back in. And honestly, I don't know why they brought Frank back in because they didn't like his answer the first time. So why they'd want to hear it again, I don't know. But since they didn't like his answer the first time, they bring him back in. And have I mentioned that Frank was a sarcastic guy? All right. So they say, the guy you healed you, the guy who healed you, do you know that he's a sinner? So in John 9, verse 25, we get Frank's response. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you, and you didn't listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Can you imagine how furious those Pharisees were when Frank asked them, Hey, do you want to be his follower too? Is that why you're asking again? So they go back and forth with Frank a little bit more. And finally, Frank's story is not changing. So they're just like, Frank, get out. We don't want to talk to you anymore. Because Frank, or whatever his name actually was, his story wasn't debatable. You don't have to know all the answers to start proclaiming the gospel. Don't live in fear of what someone might ask you. Don't be paralyzed by what could go wrong if you proclaim your faith. The Bible gives you permission to say, that is an interesting point that you bring up. I haven't thought of it like that before, and I don't know. But one thing I do know. I was blind, but thanks to Jesus, now I see. Christ changed your B.C. into an A.D. story. Your life is not subject to theological debate. And guys, I only told you the first part of my story. I am 32 years into my A.D. story with Christ, okay? And you don't have time to listen to my whole story today. But I know how my relationship with God has helped me through illness, through pain, through the loss of loved ones, and through drastic changes in my life. And if we've been Christians for a while, we all have those stories, don't we? So when someone's hurting, we have that story where I can say, yeah, it was really hard when I went through something similar, but I had my faith in Christ helping me through that. I know what it's like to be desperate and to cry out to God, I hurt. And then to have him come along and speak peace into my life. Many of you have experienced those times, yes? Doesn't that make you thankful for God's presence in your life? Doesn't that make you wonder how do people who aren't walking with God make it through those times? Those are the exact people who need to hear your story. So instead of worrying that you don't know what to say, maybe it should be more of God. You have blessed me so much and you have helped me through so many things that I don't know where I'll be able to stop telling my story. So as we close, the next time you feel that urge to talk to somebody who needs Jesus and that voice in the back of your head starts to question, uh, I want to, I know I ought to, but what would I even say? Church, take these three things with you. One, God will provide the words. Two, your story is powerful and your story is meaningful. And number three, you are not responsible for anyone else's faith. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, then you can take something even greater out of here with you today. God can turn your B.C. into an A.D. story as well. Romans 10.9 makes it as clear as I can imagine it being. Sometimes we think of John 3.16, that's the what. You know, God sent his son to save you. This is the how. Romans 10.9, it says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So eternity is in your hands this morning. Agree with God that you're a sinner. Place your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And ask God to forgive you. It really is as simple as that. And if that's what you'd like to do today, then I encourage you, you know, we would love to celebrate that with you today. Feel free to talk more about it with myself, with Pastor Zach, because that's what we're here for. We want to help you make that decision and turn your BC into your AD. So with that said, church, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to stand in front of these people and tell them about your word. I just uh, I thank you for, the, for my story, for what you've done in my life, and I just thank you that I, that I have that opportunity to declare that, to proclaim that. I just ask you to please make us bold and confident in you, Lord. First in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.